We can't believe this is our last time in chapel, so we want to make sure we honor the Lord and uh, give you a good send-off. I went back and grabbed some pictures from my very first night. I put Uncle Paul over there, and I didn't say enough the other night. Paul and I have been friends for probably 35 years, and he keeps inviting me back for some reason. But it's always good to see him, and he's... Uh, so give Paul a good round of applause. <laughs> to me... My son Andy, uh, he's almost 40 years old. Andy was probably about four or five when he first came to camp. So we've been coming here a long, long time. So I appreciate Paul always making me feel at home. When I see the sign Tapawingo, I feel like I have come home. I've, um, I've spoken in a camp in St. Louis, Missouri. I've went up to Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Um, I guess new life is in probably Newcastle. Uh, Paul, where's Joyelle at? I, I get all of them confused. Uh, so, new life, and then there you go. And then there's a then Joyelle, and then I've been to St. Louis, and I've won in Camp Bethel in Virginia, and uh, West Virginia went to Circle K there, and uh, so been in Pennsylvania, been a lot of places, but I always come back here, and this is the only camp I do anymore. The others won't have me back. But anyway. I have um, found a home, and that's Tapawingo. I told you on the very first night that God is the potter and we're the clay, and I just want to let him shape me. I don't want to go, no, we're not. I don't want to be stubborn. I want to be pliable, and if he wants to use me, that's what I'd like to be used. I put this one up uh, to remind you. How many people have enjoyed the food? Yeah, the, you know, it's like, yay, you know, the cooks ought to get a big hand of that. I mean, <laughs> hallelujah for that. So I'm thinking people that I've spoke five different states. I've never had pulled pork barbecue, I don't think, ever for a meal. Um, so I appreciate the cooks. I'm thankful for them. Uh, this just reminds me that I've known people over the years, and this is Emily Jones, I guess. And Emily's now probably married and probably taught school for two or three years, and I still picture in junior high like you. Time rolls on for me. I think of the old chapel before we first come down a long, long time ago with 11 people and Jack Tuttle and Paul and me and my family, we had a weekend retreat with 11 and we'd play super frisbee or something out in the field and uh, I think some of the campers that year was maybe Doug Lindauer who was probably about 20 years old at the time and that's the son of who's now, all those guys have grown up but I'm thankful that God has been faithful over the years and that's a place of Oh, we've had 10, 12 people get saved in one night there, and God just works. I'm thankful for chapel. Uh, I reminded you of my family. Jenny and I have been married 41 years. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for the son he blessed us with. And then we got Lindsay, and then we got uh, Jimmy right there. And if you wonder if you could love kids as much as you do your own, Jimmy, I just love him to pieces. His name's James Stewart Moser. You've heard of Jimmy. Stewart in The Wonderful Life. If you haven't, yeah, that's an actor. And he was born in Indiana, Pennsylvania. And Andy's first name's James, so they call him James Stewart. Uh, I call him Jimmy. We call him Jimmy. There's um, brand new Thomas Bernard Moser, and we're going to call him Barney. And uh, he's precious to me. He's four weeks old right now. And there's Jenny getting to hold both of them. Not fair, but. Uh, Jimmy is uh, to the age of just talking, so he went home, uh, went to daycare the other day, and he says, Barney, Barney, and he's like chicken. He wants Barney to go to Chick-fil-A, I guess, so uh, 
Jimmy's got a little brother. Jimmy will turn two on August the 11th. And Jimmy is the age of where yellow bus, yellow bus. If you've got a little brother or sister and they learn to talk, you'll know their fire truck. So, uh, and if he doesn't really want to do exactly what you, no, no, no. You know, if he knows something's wrong, that's good. There's Barney. And uh, I reminded you my church family back home that we planted about 11 years ago. And we've seen a lot of blessings from God in that too. So, a little bit about me and a little bit about the camp and three different family, my family, our church family. So I'm glad you're here. This is me, Mr. Edgar, and this is our last nightly, afternoonish, whatever it is, chapel that we're talking about, mystery. I sort of had a tough time picking. There's so many mysteries in the Bible. I mean, this is not even my message, but think about this one in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. When calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. You say, okay, nothing mysterious about that. Then they give a description of John. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. How'd you like to have a neat pair of pants or a dress wearing camel's hair? That'd be cool. Had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. That's a mystery. Why would anybody want to wear a leather girdle? But anyway, that's our uh, camel's hair and all that. So John was a different kind of person. To show you the critics that they would later have, John basically, he never touched wine. So they called him, it would be like a prude, you know, like, gosh, you don't even drink wine. Jesus changed the water to wine at a wedding, and they called him a wine bibber. So basically, you're old-fashioned, you're a drunk. And Jesus and John would have both said, you can't win with you guys. No matter if we don't drink, you call us old-fashioned. If we do, you think we're, yeah, it, nothing's much changed. People are the opposite. John uh, the Baptist was the first cousin of Jesus, so it's a mystery to some people. So many mysteries in the Bible. There's a mystery spot in Michigan. They said you almost lose gravity. You can just lean, and it's like sort of an odd spot, sort of like the Bermuda Triangle. Some people say ships and planes disappear. Sylvester McCoy, a mystery. He solves mysteries with the question marks, the unexplainable. And I think mysteries are often miracles. We just don't really explain them, so I give him credit for God because he deserves credit. So it's a mystery this week, and there is Jack, uh, you know, Robert Stack with Unsolved Mysteries. There's a mystery machine. So we just hear this word over and over. But I'm going to solve a mystery for you today. And no, I don't solve this one. I have no idea how Stonehenge got there. I don't understand it. I don't see how there's 25-ton stones in a circle got there. I don't understand how half of them are gone, but I don't really have to. Instead, uh, the Aurora Borealis still captures my attention. I'm glad I don't understand all the mysteries. That means God is so higher than us. If you had a math teacher that you knew more than he did, you'd probably disrespect that math teacher after a while. Well, I've got a God I don't even, I mean, wow, if his knowledge is this room, mine's a little speck that your pen would make. Uh, he just knows so much. I don't know, and God sits and winks and just probably says, they don't even understand the Aurora Borealis. They don't understand the northern lights, as they're called. But he gives us some ways to understand some things. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created, one of the things he created was a beautiful garden. It was called the Garden of Eden. 
First day he created light and darkness. Second day he created the heavens. Third day he created sun, moon, and the stars. Fourth day he created land, seas, and vegetation. Fifth day he created beast, cattle, creeping things, and man. Hmm. Seventh day God did something. He, he rested. Not that he needs to rest. So one of his creations was man. Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden and he gave them a tree and he said, of all the trees in the garden, just don't eat from this. What tree was that? Uh, tree of yeah, knowledge of good and evil. So they uh, had one thing not to do and they did it. Hmm. So they were banished from the garden. So you say, okay, what's the mystery in that? I'm getting to the mystery, but uh, when they were put out of the garden, angels came in, cherubim, and they guarded the entrance as if to keep them from going back in there. That was long ago in the book of Genesis. So in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were cast out, God put cherubim to guard the entrance. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, flaming sword going back and forth to guard the way. Say, okay, no mystery just yet. Later in the book, <laughs> in Exodus, we find God saying, okay, we're going to assemble a tabernacle and we're going to put this thing together so you guys can worship. It's sort of like a portable church. And you guys can worship. And if we made it into this building out there in the vestibule would be, uh, we're coming up into the courtyard and then we have a basin and I won't get into all the details, but then you'll have a certain part of the holy place and that would be where you might be sitting. And then if we curtain right across through here and some Bible scholars and I've read two or three that think this I'm inclined to think it was about 60 feet tall about 60 feet wide Herod later rebuilt part of the temple after it was destroyed by the Babylonians and it was 30 by 30 but it, give or take we've got a curtain going up huge we've got a curtain that's wide and they said that it was with fabric that just kept going weaving in and out and in, until they got it to roughly Two scholars I've looked at, three to four inches thick. How thick's your T-shirt? Yeah, it, nothing. I mean, if it's a... So can you imagine if you had four inches of clothing on? You've probably got about 20 T-shirts, four or five winter jackets. I mean, you could probably, you know, you ever watch the little kids go out? Mom's got them wrapped up so that they won't get cold. Well, you could probably turn a bullet by all the clothes they have on, but they got real thick clothes. Can you imagine this thick curtain of four inches? Uh, I don't even know that we could put a dent, much less tear it. And look what he says to do. Moses, I want you to construct this tabernacle. I want you to put a curtain up right here. And then inside this, he told him to build something. And if I was there, I'd just be real quiet because I'm thinking, mm -hmm. and he had him build an ark. And later, three things went into the ark. Anybody know what the three things? Yes. Yeah, the, the almond budding staff of Aaron. What else? Yeah, Ten Commandments representing the law. And one other thing. God's got to feed us. What did he feed them with? Manna from heaven came down, so they had an omer of... So we got manna, we got the law, got Aaron's staff. We put those in the ark. And then on top of the ark, the cherubim come up and they touch, and then... Right there in the middle is a tough thing. Here's a mystery. So if you haven't been listening up until now, grab this one. This is the one that always touches my heart. On top of that ark 
was where the priests could go in once a year. And I've read this too, that uh, they said priests would go in, blood on the mercy seat, to sprinkle on top of the ark, that was called the mercy seat, and it would pay for his sins. Then he would pay for the sins of the people. Hmm. He's inside the Holy of Holies, Yom Kippur. He's only there once a year. If he went in and he wasn't clothed properly, by the way, these priests are supposed to just wear solid white, the no-colored sash and all that stuff. They just walk straight. So they come in speaking. That ark of the covenant really represented who? That's God's presence. So you're going in and standing before God. I just wanted to pause for the first mystery of the day. What would you feel like if you get to stand before God? Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? So these priests go in. They said if they had any sin, there's an atonement for. If they even dressed wrong, what would happen since they went into the Holy of Holies? They drop over dead. Max Licato writes this in the book. He said, legend says it, that they had a bell around their foot so if they'd fall over and they'd hear it jingle that meant something was wrong they had a rope tied around their ankle that they'd pull the priest back out anybody else want to go in so I got a question for you if God was standing up here and here's the curtain and we let you go in and if you have sin in your life you drop over dead anybody still want to go in there suddenly I'm very humbled oh God <laughs> I mean please forgive us cleanse us Wash us clean so that we can come see you. So he builds this special place in the tabernacle. Well, this is the moving church. So in this tent, he says, Moses, create the tabernacle according to these dimensions. And in verses 31 and 33 of Exodus 26, he said, The Lord gave specific instructions, especially for this curtain. You shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen. It should be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. So if you'd look at the curtain closely, you'd see it look like angels. Now we said angels are guarding the Garden of Eden and angels are woven into this curtain. Hmm. Isn't God an intricate God? He just wants him to do it. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of archaea wood overlaid with gold. The hook should be gold upon four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasp. They put this thing up. Aaron, Moses' brother, is in charge. Can you imagine being in charge of setting up the Ark of the Covenant? Wouldn't that be cool? Or would it? He's like, I sure hope I do this right. So the priest had a high job. We also see something special being placed behind the curtain or the veil. You shall bring in the ark of the testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. So that curtain is really to separate God from the people. Hmm. Why? Out of respect. Nobody gets to go in and see God unannounced. They've even had kings in the Old Testament. King Xerxes or Azarus, however you want to, they give different names in the book of Esther. Esther was sort of nervous to go in and see him because she said, if I go in and see him unannounced, if he doesn't extend a scepter to me, I die. So she took her chance to walk in and say, you know, it's almost like beg the king's pardon, I need to see you. He extends the scepter and says, what, it is, what is it, Esther? She told her dad, she said, if he doesn't extend that scepter, I could die. And he says, honey, you got to go in and take up for the Jews. So she says, well, for such a time as this, I'm going to see him. If I die, I die. But I'll go trying. So kings had a lot of authority. God's got authority. 
So if we walk in and bust in, it's irreverent to God. We visited in France one time, and we happened to go over there with the sister cities. Not that we go to France a lot, because we haven't, but I thought it was cool. We went in. We're getting ready to go into Notre Dame, if you've ever heard of the cathedral over there. And they told us, they said, before we go in, me and absolutely not, you cannot have a hat on. I didn't have a hat on him, but it's like, don't have a hat on. And ladies, you can't go in. looks like all y'all would probably make it, I guess. You can't have bare shoulders. So if anybody had a hat, they had to take it off. Women had to suddenly find a sweater or something to cover. They said, out of respect, we can't go into the cathedral with any bare skin. Uh, you got to take your hat off out of reverence and walk in. Of course, I thought it was odd, but I was respectful of the place. You walk in, but it's changed over the years. It used to be very quiet and solemn. Now they've got a, a machine. Uh, has anybody ever put a penny into a machine and you crank it and it comes out and gives you a, a souvenir? You know, it might be Dollywood. They had one of those out there. <laughs> I'm thinking, y'all tell us to be respectful and we might as well, hey, anybody needs postage stamps? You know, they got vending machines out there in the lobby of the church. I thought, that's crazy. But I, I went into another, it's where a monastery was. Monks used to live here years ago. And they said they had big, you could see them, they could take a cart, a wagon, put it out, put food in it, and pull it back in where these people wouldn't even leave the building out of respect. And I walked around in that, and I thought, Lord, at one time this might have been on fire and exciting for you. Now it's just you could see dust and cobwebs and people just going around. But nobody spoke. It was very quiet. It was very respectful. And so I'm thinking, God's special place. We see something special placed behind it, and that's the Ark of the Covenant. If you wonder where it is, then this is the way the temple was set up. So we'd be out, if we were in a park line out there in the gravel, that's the outer court. We can enter there. We can come in. You can wash hands, do stuff like that, an altar of sacrifice. Some priests would offer, offer an animal out there. And then it can get even closer and clean, and then we'd walk into the holy place. That's where you're setting. A table of showbread, you're not supposed to bake that daily. Uh, they would put bread to the side. You're not supposed to touch that unless you're the priest. And yet uh, that rule was broken. David's men, was hung they were hungry one time. They broke in and they just like, just give us some bread. We're about to starve. They actually ate the show bread. And you say, oh, did they die? No. God bless David because David was on a mission for God, which shows that our rules made to be broken. No, don't misinterpret that. It's just that God does understand. Uh, but that was a rarity. It's just like his disciples were going through the grain field and the disciples ate grain and the Pharisees got mad and said, hey, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. He said, man's not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath's made for man, so we enjoy worship. And in other words, don't get mad at my disciples. So there's the showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense as you would like. So it would be a very solemn ceremony, very quiet. And then we enter the Holy of Holies. If you cut away view of that, that's what this tent that Moses and them were in. And the priest would go in and bow down to God. You say, well, that sounds pretty neat. So behind this holy veil was what? For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was a lampstand, a table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We still call our churches that today. Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle was called the holiest of all, the holy of holies. In Hebrew, a veil means a divider or a separator that hides. 
Its purpose is to hide the glory of God from sinful man as well as to keep men from carelessly entering in His presence. This is why the high priest is the only one who may enter the Holy of Holies. Paul's there and look, the mystery to me, they obviously don't use the same rules or God does not use the same rules today because it says carelessly entering His presence. Do you think people carelessly? Oh, yes. I've heard people carelessly say God's name in vain. I had a track one time that says God's last name is not damn. You know, it's supposed to be funny, but it's actually the truth. I hear people use His name irreverently. Back here, you could walk into this special place and die because out of disrespect. God doesn't kill people for using His name. I don't like it when people say Jesus Christ. Unless you're praying, you better not be saying that name. I've got on some students for saying that before. You know, oh God, and I said, yes, He is. He's, he's great. Oh, I was, yeah, I know you're, Unless you're praying, I wouldn't do that. I'm just, I don't like people when, I shouldn't say I don't like people. I don't like the expression when they say OMG on, uh, when they say, oh my God, are you praising him? Because otherwise I wouldn't use that phrase. You know, you say, oh gosh, you're old-fashioned. Okay, I'm old-fashioned. I just don't like you saying, oh my God. I don't like you saying Jesus unless you're talking to him. We got to be really respectful. We ought to... The veil is separating his power, and yet we, I think we just sort of take that for granted today. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come in at just any time if it's just flippantly, hey, Jesus, how's that? Oh, Aaron's dead. Uh, you say, oh, he wouldn't do that. He killed his two sons for being disrespectful. Really? Oh, yeah. I thought Aaron would get a bye that his family would get back. Nope. Mm -mm. God doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I'll let you go. Nope. Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come in at just any time in the holy place before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. As the high priest, you're the only one permitted to enter the holy of holies. So let's pretend you're the high priest. You're only allowed once a, one time a year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. This is a festival where the high priest performs a ceremony. So here's the mystery. You get to go in and nobody else does. Once you walk in there, what will you see? You'll see the Ark of the Covenant. That is the presence of God. There is the mercy seat. You will sprinkle blood for yourself and for the people. And it's as though God's presence descends there for a moment. How do you explain it? I don't. That's a mystery to me. Now, I call it, I have a prayer time at, the, at my house, Jenny knows I do this. I'll go into the bedroom sometimes and I'll look up and if I really, something's heavy on my heart, it was yesterday, I was praying for my son Andy, he had a big meeting and all that and I'll just look up until I can see Jesus and I'm thinking, okay, I'm in the Holy of Holies, it's quiet, I don't hear anything else, he just helps me block out everything and I'm not saying, uh, don't think, oh, you're special, no, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just you, we're together but I just take time and I listen for him and it's very quiet, and that's a reverent time. I don't want to be distracted. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and, a, and never without blood. You had to have a blood sacrifice, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people. So can you imagine this priest walking in in a very quiet, reverent way? the most important place. It's the reason why Israel existed at all, because God called His people into being with His eternal Word. 
Two cherubim formed from the same tablet of gold indicated the place of God's throne, the throne of God, the mercy seat. Crawled, it was called a propitiatory, our propitiation is to stand and it takes our place. The blood that is on that takes our place. They used to take a goat and they'd have two goats really and they'd, uh, the priest would put the sins of the people on him and then they'd sacrifice. The other goat was let go so he could just wander off. Yeah, one was set free, one was killed and they said the one who was killed was sometimes called, all the sins were on him was called the scapegoat. So one was called the scapegoat. We still use that phrase today. They said, oh yeah, so-and-so became the scapegoat. They dumped all the, yeah, they blamed him for everything that had happened. We still use that. It was the place where God forgave and showed mercy. That was the place where God showed mercy. See, okay, what about the curtain? That's what I want to point out. Matthew chapter 27, when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, not of the living dead right there in Jerusalem. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, all that had happened, he said, surely he was the Son of God. Let's go back. At the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two when Jesus died. Okay, remember the cherubim guarding the garden? Cherubim on the curtain? When some of those standing with a loud cry, curtain of the temple was torn in two. From noon until three, he was in agony for three hours. The whole world got dark. Do you think it was dark inside the Holy of Holies? Yeah, you had to go in there with a small lamp. So Jesus... God, this is a mystery. I'll tell it to you today. God turns the whole world into sort of like the Holy of Holies. Heck, I never thought of that. It's suddenly dark. Jesus' son is the sacrifice on the mercy seat. And when Jesus dies, the curtain tears apart. And the cherubim that are on that curtain remind me that the cherubim part, it's as though they got out of the way of the garden. It's as though man can come right back into Garden of Eden, fellowship with God. Thanks to Jesus, I do not have to have a high priest go into the Holy of Holies now. The curtain's gone. That's what kept the priest out. That's what kept the people out. The curtain's gone. I can go in there on my own now. So I go in and I find the mercy seat, which is really an altar, and I can pray. And it's free access. I don't have to have a priest do it. I can do it any time I want to. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, he cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon, Jesus hangs in open shame on a cross. When he said it is finished and he gives up the spirit, guess what? The veil tears in two. Can you imagine those priests that are in there actively 
don't touch the curtain. Don't get anywhere near it. We can only go in there once. And the curtain just starts tearing from the top to the bottom, and it opens up. And they probably felt like, should we be able to see the ark? Is this odd that we can go in? They had no idea probably what had just happened. Jesus had died on Calvary just a little bit from the temple, and the curtain's gone, and now we can go in. It would almost be, this is odd. We can go in without the help of a priest. So when Jesus dies, the curtain separates. I always thought that was neat that in God's own way, he put cherubim on the curtain, and the cherubim have now gotten out of the way to let me go in and see God. It's as though the Garden of Eden, the cherubim are gone. I can go on back in and enjoy a paradise with God. I can enjoy him. Hmm. I bet you those priests just speechless. Matthew 27, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The earth shook. Mark gives you the same account. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I think it's sort of neat that it's top to bottom. So we have free access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's a mystery, I think, in some ways. We don't understand how can I do that? Well, he later tells you in the book of Hebrews, he's treating you like a high priest now. Once you say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Come into my heart and be my Savior, then he's treating you like a priest. Come right on in. It's as though, oh, curtain's gone. Yep, it's like the door's open or the door's not even on. Come right on in. That's an awesome, I think, an awesome privilege in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, that guy wearing locusts and honeys out there, and he has people coming to him from Jerusalem, and they confess their sins, and he baptizes them, and people are getting ready to, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand is what John would preach. So get ready for Jesus. Then he saw some Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. And he said to them, John doesn't take much from it. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you about the coming wrath? In other words, why are you out here? Because you're not accepting Christ. You're not putting your faith in him. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And they got mad at that. And they said, well, we have Abraham as our father. He said, you don't know Abraham. You just know of him. And he says, I baptize you with water, and people confess their sins. There's going to be someone coming along after me that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Hmm. And that person that was coming would, of course, be Jesus. Jesus began his ministry. He was God in the flesh that came down and offered people to come and speak to him. Now, the Jewish people would still want to uh, keep up the traditions by going to the temple. And I thought this was neat. The Jews would try to get to heaven by laws. Um, you don't get there by law. You get there by grace. But the Jews would sort of go in and, and talk about keeping the law. And remember, they still kept that up until Jesus died, until the curtain was apart. But the Jews thought they were special. They got to almost go to heaven because they're God's people. And they looked down on people like you and I. We were called Gentiles, or we would be the Gentiles in their, in their day. And yet... I'll give you some last few verses, and I think it's so neat. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, that's you and me, he says, surely you have heard about 
the giving of God's grace that was given to me. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written it down briefly. In reading this, then you'll be able to understand the mystery. And the mystery is this. He uses the word mystery about five times in that. And he says, I became a servant for the gospel, and I am the least of all of God's people, but the grace was given to me, and in essence, the grace is now given to you. And this is a mystery that the Gentiles would think, you mean we don't have to be Jewish? No. We don't have to keep laws? No. And Paul just broke all boundaries. Of course, it's great news for the Gentiles. The Jewish people didn't quite understand it, but the bottom line is this, we're all equal. We all can come to Jesus. And he finally gives a prayer, and I'd give that to you since it's my... Well, I know I get to meet in the morning with you, but here's a prayer that Paul said that I would, as I read this, I thought, this is my prayer for you. Listen carefully to it. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Paul now kneels before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That would be my prayer for you. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he closes his prayer out. He says, Now to him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to his power that's work within you, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And he says, Forever and ever. So Paul gives a prayer to say this. I pray that you know Jesus. That's what he was praying. So as you walk through to the altar and you'd put stuff on there, you pay, put blood for your sins, then you put the blood for the rest of the people. I have a feeling I'd spend a lot of time on my sins sometimes and say, God, I don't even deserve to be in this. Can you imagine now, last picture I'll stick in your mind and then we'll close. If the curtain is gone, it is, and this is the altar, and it is, and we can come freely, what should stop us today from coming freely to an altar? Hmm. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, in the next few moments, I want to have us have a quiet time here in the afternoon. And I know it's not our nightly chapel. I know it's not our morning chapel. We're, we're different today, but Jesus, you still meet with us whatever time is on the clock. It doesn't make any difference. I pray that somewhere in this room right now, someone has realized I can just come freely to Jesus anytime I want to. The cherubim that were guarding the Garden of Eden are in essence gone. The cherubim that was on that curtain, is, they've, they've separated. They've been torn out. The curtain is now gone. The mercy seat is available to all of us. And God, your presence was represented by that ark. So you now, through your son Jesus, offer us free access. We can come to you and talk to you anytime we want to. So, Jesus, I thank you for speaking to our hearts this week. I pray that my challenge for everyone today, the mystery, can I talk to God? We can. We can talk to Jesus anytime we want to. Well, I'm sinful. He forgives us. 
I don't know what to say. He knows your heart. I want to be my best. He understands. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, God might just tug at your heart. I'm going to ask, appreciate Stephen. He's going to play a song for us here at the end and we'll close with this song that just reminds you again that we can come to the altar. We can come straight through the curtain. It's, the curtain's gone. Free access to Jesus. Anybody that wants to talk to him. So let's be real quiet for a moment and listen to God. He may just speak to your heart and tug at your heart. So I pray that he will. Thank you, Jesus. We have free access to you. No more priests. No more sacrifices. You did it all in your sacrifice. No more animals have to be slain. I could have never done that. I would have had a tough time killing a lamb every time I sinned. So you, Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes all those things and Take care of it for us. So now, Jesus, we have free access to you. The curtain's down. No more formality. No priests. No once a year. But every moment, every day, every second, we can say, Jesus, and you're instantly at our disposal. Thank you, Lord, for doing what you did. All because of Calvary is why that curtain's gone. Or else we'd have had to keep up what those Old Testament rituals and laws and traditions were. We don't have to do any of that. For by grace we save through faith. That not of ourselves is a gift to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship. Jesus, do a work in us today. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that your beard rose again. Thank you that you hear my voice and you're seated at the Father's right hand. You smile because we've glorified you today. We give you the credit. You're the honor. You're the reason why we exist. It's humbling to know, Lord, mm, we can walk into that holy of holies and you nod with approval. How in the world do we get to go into the mercy seat to find mercy in our help and our time of need, but you do. It's amazing. Lord, thanks for letting us be inside the holy of holies and be with you today. Be very quiet. We honor you, we love you, we praise you, worship you for all is due to you. In Jesus' name, amen.